0: Cannabis extraction has blown up and it will continue to blow up and become bigger and bigger for the foreseeable future. The array of products in the market and the number of extraction labs and the varieties of final products possible coming out of these labs have all increased at a wicked fast rate. Extraction is exploding in every direction and nug runs are standard now, not a rarity like it was just five years ago. It's a really good time to be a professional extractor or an extracts connoisseur. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos, too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive the newsletter. This month, we're giving away several packages of the Happy Endings Compost Tea Mix and Ocean Bounty Flowering Soil Amendment from Green Bicycles. I use this stuff in my own garden, and I love it. In fact, I talked with Green Bicycles founder Patrick Smith about his tea on the YouTube channel recently. So you can go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Lose. Today my guest is Jeff Wilhoyt. You may know Jeff Wilhoyt as Cannabis Reverend on Instagram, or as Jeff Church, another name he used during the early days of cannabis. But now that he's working solely in the legal cannabis industry, he's allowing me for the first time to use his real name. Jeff has been in professional cannabis for decades, working as a cannabis patient rights advocate and providing cannabis medicine for patients. Throughout this time, he was refining his skills and mastering all of the modern extraction techniques and many of the ancient ones too. He's been running licensed professional cannabis extraction labs for several years now. He is presently still an ardent patient advocate, but he's also director of extracts at Puffin Farm. Today, we're going to start by explaining CO2 extraction and then move on to the recent improvements in CO2 extraction and modifying CO2 machines. Welcome to the show, Jeff.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Right on. So I'm excited to have you back on the show so that we can kind of update our prior conversation talking about CO2 extractions because, you know, the last time we had you on the show was a couple years and a lot has changed in CO2 in that time. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that when I did my stint as CEO of Green Lion Farms, I got to be in the CO2 lab and was able to learn a lot. But most people have never been in a CO2 lab, let alone any extraction lab. Would you walk us through generally how a CO2 extractor functions and most importantly, the differences between supercritical and subcritical extraction?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, it's, you know, like any other solvent extraction, um, you have a solvent uh, that is fed in through an extraction vessel where you have plant material packed in there. And then uh, there's a secondary vessel um, that is downstream from there where the solvent and the extracted cannabinoids, terpenes, and other constituents um, are separated from the solvent. Um, And so... You know, with CO2, it's done um, either in a subcritical um, liquid or supercritical phase. Um, and so kind of the difference um, between that is, is relative to temperature and pressure, um, the state that the solvent itself is in. So at regular atmosphere, we have CO2 as a gas, um, if you chill that down and pressurize it, um, so put it into a vessel uh, where it's where it's able to hold the pressure, um, it will turn from a gas into a liquid, and uh, and then that that liquid um, can then be further heated and pressurized even further to take it through uh, the subcritical phase and at higher pressures and temperatures up into the supercritical phase um, so they're all just kind of different ways that the solvent um acts uh, when it's a liquid it acts just like a, a liquid it'll saturate uh, a medium it'll extract um when it's subcritical it goes a little bit deeper um and the basically the the different constituents uh, are going to be soluble at different levels. So if you have a higher pressure, um, certain things will be more extractable there than they are at a lower pressure. Um, Terpenes in particular are extractable um, at low pressures uh, with CO2. Um, So, you know, relatively low. Um, You know, you can definitely do a terpene extraction um, at 1100 PSI. Uh, If you want cannabinoids, you're going to have to go um, to a higher uh, to a higher pressure or take longer to do the extraction because they're less extractable um, at the lower pressure. So that's kind of the main difference between every other solvent that's used um, and CO2 is this pressure component to it you know with butane and alcohol um heat is a consider consideration when you when you run either of those solvents hot you're going to produce an extract that has um more constituents in it right there's there's going to be more chlorophyll with a with a hot extraction um you know uh, yeah so so basically co2 extractions very simple uh, liquid fed through the plant material, uh, the, plant, the cannabinoids and terpenes and other uh, constituents are extracted, and then um, that higher pressure liquid goes through a valve um, that, is, that regulates the flow, but it also sets the pressure um, in the extraction vessel at a higher point than in the separation vessel what that does is it, it takes that liquid or supercritical or subcritical, uh, subcritical fluid and it changes it into a gas state, right? So you'll also have heat on the separators that are, that are aiding um, in this as well. Um, but what happens there is you've got all of your extract is in the fluid. And then once that fluid is turned into a gas... The extract is left behind, and the gas is able to rise and, and be uh, funneled off in, through the piping into another, uh, into another part of the extraction machine. Um, having, having, the-
0: that, having that flexibility between supercritical and subcritical, it's almost like you get two, two tools for the price of one because you've got some flexibility on how you run your material.
1: Well, I mean, it's really a rainbow tool set, not just two tools, because, you know, um, subcritical at low pressure is going to extract one set of constituents, and the higher the pressure gets and the higher the temperature gets, the more constituents that you're going to extract until you hit supercritical. You know, and then it just keeps on further opening up what the constituents are that it's going to easily extract the higher the pressure is. So but, you know, it's it's it can be selective, um, you know, so you can remove you can target certain constituents and leave other ones behind uh, with with pressure. There's there's a there's some really interesting things that are done on some uh, extractors where they have a separation you've got your higher pressure extraction. Then you have, um, three cascading lower pressure separators where your cannabinoids, uh, and thicker waxier constituents are going to fall out in the first separator. Cause it's at a higher pressure. Then as the pressure goes down, um, you know terpenes become insoluble in that liquid CO2 and so they drop out and and so on so so you're able to kind of fraction things out um, that way with different pressures
0: right on cool so yeah. so for a, for anybody who's listening who's like oh my god this is going to be a really technical show <laughs> don't don't worry it's not going to be like this the whole time cuz actually what we're t- mostly going to be talking about today are applications for CO2 and and how CO2 extractions are being used now so so I, you know we needed to make sure we get through the supercritical versus subcritical but but stay with us here so 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 let's talk about that of our first application uh, jeff so so you know the 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 oil that is coming out of CO2 labs for, for dabbing or vaping now is incredibly tasty and it's, and it's way better than the stuff that was coming out of labs in like 2014, 2015, where, where unfortunately a lot of CO2 got a bad reputation for not being tasty. Um, what has changed during that time between like, you know, 2014, 15 and now that's made such a profound impact on the tastiness of CO2 products?
1: Yeah. So, so a lot has really changed in in the marketplace. So uh, I would say, you know, know for for my practices in the lab um i've really come full circle um you know jumping into co2 um i was originally producing products that were very akin to the oil that i'm producing now uh back then and then uh you know and, and that was really on quality of material right um you know, I, I was running full NUG and it, back in 2013 at the you know, first runs that we were doing. And we had some really amazing oils that came out that didn't need any winterization. And, you know, the, the quality of the material was just uh, spectacular. But the reality is, is back then, that quality material was not going to produce enough oil to make it profitable, so everybody kind of turned the other direction and said, "Oh, well, this trim makes really you know good fiscal sense." And so um, I'd say that the majority of processors went that way. Um, there's a couple processors that I know of that always have tried to strive for having that highest quality input material um, to make the highest quality extract. Um, but it really wasn't the case, and so ninety-five percent um, plus of the market has really kind of just been this oil that's like, blah. It doesn't really, it doesn't really excite you too much. You, you smoke it, you'll get your high, um, but it's not a very unique high. It's very similar to you know most other cartridges that that are out there. So it's kind of, yeah, and 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 really you know, back in the day, you know, there was so little knowledge about how to retain terpenes in your extract and, and, and do this, that you would just do your extraction. You'd get this big puck of waxy oil, you would douse it in alcohol. Um, and then you would, Cook the uh, cook the extract in a rotary to to remove that alcohol. Well, when you do that, you're removing the majority of the terpenes, right? And most companies they would just go all the way down until they had like a thicker oil. That way, they knew that the majority of the alcohol was out of it. Um, but they'd end up with an oil that, for the cartridge technology, was not feasible to smoke. And so, a lot of companies back then they would cut it with propylene glycol um as a viscosity altering agent um and you know we know that propylene glycol vaporizing it is really unhealthy you know um it's uh there's there's been a lot of you know government studies have come out um about the tobacco vaping industry and it's the same thing you know propylene glycol um we've just put a little bit of cannabis or they you know people back in the day were putting cannabis in there which you know might even be a little you know a little bit better than vaping nicotine because you've got some cancer causing or uh, anti-cancer um, potentials in an oil right mm-hmm. um anyways that's 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 not near here nor there um but now um now people are starting to get to the point where they're making a product that instead of having to compromise and add in these these cuts or leave alcohol in your extract um, to keep the viscosity right, there were all kinds of things that, that were done to kind of make this alcohol extracted or winterized oil um, be something that the market desired. But nobody was really able to make it unique, you know, I mean, you'd have a little flavor of the strain uh, that you were vaping, but it wasn't, it wasn't like smelling the flower. Yeah. And so that's, that's really where we've come to today is, you know, we're back to the point where cannabis is worthless. You know, the the wholesale market on, on cannabis, it's, it's so cheap. So now if you're an extractor, um, you know, I mean, sure, it still costs, twice uh the amount to buy uh flour as it does to buy trim but if the product that you're getting is way way more than twice uh you know tr- preferable by by the consumers then it makes sense to to do that um so you know we wh- wh- now what we're doing is just using full flour. Um, and in a lot of cases it's trimmed flour that we're using, um, as well. So something that would be bag ready, um, and would have been sold as flour back in 2013 because it was worth so much. Um, now there's so much cannabis on the market that it's not worth as much. So, um, so yeah, that's that's really you know what we're doing now is sourcing this this amazing material, um, and, and we're able to do uh, complete our extractions without having to winterize. If we were running trim, we would have tons and tons of wax, uh, lots uh, lots of lipids in our extract, and it wouldn't be something you would want to smoke uh, out of a vape cart. You know, smoking lipids is it, they're pretty harsh you know they're they're not something you really want to want to take a nice fat dab of so right on uh,
0: you know i was thinking too the market dynamics yeah. that you were describing where you're able to get these not only a nug run but a trimmed nug run compared to what it was like before it, 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 the um You know, where the value has shifted in the market, the price has plummeted on flour, which is really bad for the producer grower on the farm. But on the other side, it's a huge boon for the customer who's now getting a much preferable product at the same price that they were getting, you know, carts and dabs for back in 2014 and also you know, in your role as the extractor, um, I'm you know I'm, I just got to assume that it's way more satisfying to be working with full flour, uh, let alone trimmed flour, oh, yeah. than than just using the trim. I mean, it's got to be so much better. And and unfortunately, the farmers losing, but but you and the customer are winning.
1: Yeah, and and you know, um, I don't know if it's so much that the farmers losing. Yeah, sure, they're not getting the same prohibition dollars that, uh, people were getting back in 2013. Um, but it's a commodity and the market has set the price and, you know, that there's going to be a price for how much is being produced, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely sad. The farmer is always, always kind of losing out, uh, in this market, no matter which way you look, um, the price is, going to go down until it hits that spot where it levels out. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, when I, when I crack open a, you know, nice big 8,000, uh, gram bag of, uh, of flowers and I'm pulling out these nugs that are (laughs) six, eight, 10 inches long, some of them, um, and shoving them into the extractor. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing thing, you know? Um,
0: yeah way way yes. more satisfying so so I got one more oh, yeah. question for you before we go to our first break and um, and you know uh, you and I have known each other for a long time now and I and I know that that you know you go back working with patients and you know you have um, you know helped patients understand um, what RSO Rick Simpson oil uh, also known as ethanol hash oil preferably is and how to use it and stuff so I know it's got a place close to your heart and I also know that CO2 is close to your heart as well, and you know, in this in this new adult rec market, I'm finding people are selling stuff as CO2 RSO, which to me sounds like um, an oxymoron because the whole point of CO2 is that it's a it's a partial extraction, and you're not getting the whole plant lipids, for example, like you said, you don't want um, for a dabable oil, but you do want in an RSO. Do you believe that there's you know? realistic room in a market for a co2 rso or do you think that as i do um it's people trying to get to an rso product by cutting corners
1: well you know if if you were going to cut corners it would not be extracting it with co2 um you know RSO is is something you know Rick Simpson oil, right? Uh, for for lack of a better name, I mean he's the one that popularized this. This is a solvent extraction technique, so um, you know doing it with ethanol is is probably the most cost effective way to do it. And yeah, it's gonna have more. It's gonna have chlorophylls in there where um, your CO2 extraction is is gonna be. Um, devoid of chlorophylls uh you know it's it's just it's a constituent that is not as extractable um with co2 um so kind of to answer your question it's it's a different product for sure um you know so i don't know if co2 rso is the is the best term but i think that what they're trying to get at is we've got this oil um that we're selling you as a vaporizable product, but really we're calling it RSO um, so that the consumer knows that we've decarbed it and you can eat it, right? And so I think, you know, even though they're completely different um, as far as the appearance of the product, you're going to have a much much different product uh, from CO2 – But I think that the effect and the desired, you know, the desired effect is going to be the same. You're going to have um, a decarbed cannabinoid load um, in a CO2 oil, but it's much more expensive to produce. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the, the best way to produce an RSO. Yeah, I guess um, I guess
0: if that's the equipment you have, that's the equipment you use, right? If your lab is yeah. a CO2 lab and you don't have an ethanol lab, well, looks like you're making CO2 RSO. And I got to admit that your kind of repackaging of my perspective on it makes me feel actually a lot better because when I see it in the stores, I feel like – people are trying to cross market a product that's clearly not a whole plant ethanol hash oil from CO2 but i like your interpretation of like you know maybe they're not trying to get away with something maybe they have to use the term RSO to signal to the consumer that this is a decarbed edible product because we don't we haven't really developed that language yet for marketing
1: well and here's here, here's the you know As far as what the Liquor Control Board allows you to do, you're only allowed to sell 10 milligram size servings if it's for eating, right? So there's no way you would be able to sell an RSO for eating. So they've confused it in that sense to where all of these processors are having to produce an RSO and sell it for vaporization, which is… Not what anybody should be doing with an RSO, Right, right. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's definitely interesting. But there are lots of RSO carts out there on the market, which really surprises me that, you know, people put this uh, chlorophyll-rich um, <laughs> alcohol extract into a cartridge. You know, but that's a, that's a whole nother thing. You know, other. You know, um, I think that the the term RSO is, I don't know, I I think we need to get away f- from that you know my personal thoughts are if it's an ethanol extract should call it eho ethanol hash oil uh, just like bho is uh butane hash oil, pho is propane hash oil you know it, it's it's uh, more scientifically correct than calling it rick simpson oil which really describes a man who brought this medicine to uh to the public, you know, the the ability to make it. And actually, no, I would I would venture to say that nobody in the recreational market is making RSO uh, the way that Rick Simpson did. He used naphtha, which is a really kind of nasty solvent, but it's readily available. Um, and even though it's got some carcinogenic um, <laughs> uh, <parts laughs> properties, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> having a really heavy cannabinoid load for these patients was the most important thing. So at that time, you know, even though there was some bad coming in with the medicine, the good outweighed it, um, and he saved a lot of people. And so that that's really where, where it came from. You know, the RSO, it's it's really just that term because this guy was popularized it. But technically, RSO... Rick Simpson didn't have anything to do with that CO2 oil. That's the CO2 RSO or any of the other RSO on the market, other than the fact that his name is what they're using. Right
0: on, right on. Yeah. It's amazing how many people talk about RSO for things without actually knowing what it can, you know, what, what it's um, made of in a particular process. But, you know, uh, I get that's just all part of being in an early market and us, figuring out ourselves what to call it, to communicate to the consumers and God help the consumer trying to get educated. And, you know, as this, as this education drifts down slowly, but surely to the retail. So let's yeah, go ahead. It, oh, go ahead. It, go ahead. And then it, we'll you take know, our one,
1: break. One more thing while we're, while we're on that, you know um, so CO2, when you, when you look at what the consumer perceives CO2 as, it's got a really bad name and uh, you know, most CO2 is pretty bland. And so um, at Puffin Farm, what we've done is we've kind of said – we're setting a standard that it has to be of at least this quality for it to be extra virgin flower oil, and we're not really, we're, we're, you know, we say on the package it's processed with CO2, so it's it's full disclosure to to everybody that that's what's being done. But we're trying to set it apart from CO2 by calling it the EVFO, the extra virgin flower oil, um, to kind of make this new subset because our CO2 doesn't really fit in with you know, what most of the market is still today. And the difference is? The difference is the flower. The difference is the non-winterization. Um, the difference is it tastes just like the flower. Like if you took that flower and broke it apart and smelled it, that's the, the flavor that you're getting from an EVFO cart. If you're not getting, if, if it doesn't equal like that, and if it's not, uh, lipid-free enough, um, it, it goes into winterized oil and that gets sold to a processor for making edibles.
0: Right on, dude. And that is why when I am shopping in Washington, I buy your Puffin Farm oil. So there you have it. So let's get to that commercial now. Uh, you're listening to Shaping Fire. My guest today is Jeff Wilhoyt, uh, Director of Extracts at Puffin Farm. As a business owner, you are incredibly busy. In reality, you are responsible for everything your company does. You've got so many responsibilities every single day that often you just don't have the time to really dig into your marketing as deeply as you'd like. You know there's more that you could do to reach out to new customers and encourage loyalty in the customers you do have, but you certainly don't have the time for it, and you're not really ready to hire someone full-time for that role either. For you, I recommend Blunt Branding. At Blunt Branding, Kirsten Nelson and her team are focused on improving your bottom line. You know, most marketing firms are excited to make your logo, packaging, and website very pretty, but they leave responsibility for improving your bottom line up to you. They don't want that kind of responsibility, but that's pretty much the most important part of marketing, right? Kirsten and her team will help you engage new customers, funnel them to your point of sale, whether it be online or a storefront, and keep them coming back to you and telling their friends. Now, if you happen to be a new cannabis company or an established company moving from medical to adult use in your state, Kirsten especially can help you. Not only is she well versed in marketing and finance, but she totally gets cannabis, whole plant medicine, terpenes, heritage farmers, and the particular needs of startups. Check out what she did recently for Moontime Medicinals in Humboldt County at moontimemedicinals.com. Kirsten and her team put together a whole brand package for them, built their website, and wrote their sales materials. No doubt, this is a paid commercial spot, but that does not mean that they bought my opinion. I've worked with Blunt Branding on four projects now for various clients, and every single time they have done more than they've promised and over-delivered on results. I love how they generate new revenue and focus on that as the goal instead of just making you a pretty logo. Similarly, every single friend I've referred them to has come back to thank me, That just doesn't happen every day. Grab a pen and paper because the website address is coming. If you want someone to implement marketing programs that feed your bottom line, give Blunt Branding a call. They will share proven techniques to increase your audience and generate sales while using cutting-edge technology solutions in the background that make all of this easy, automatic, and trackable. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash Blunt Branding to find out more. You can also click on the link in our newsletter. Blunt Branding, marketing that makes you money. Join me at the upcoming CanMed event in Los Angeles for a gathering of the top minds in cannabis medicine. Field experts will present their latest findings and best practices in treating a variety of conditions with cannabis, including epilepsy, pain, traumatic brain injury, cancer, autism, and more. Laboratory professionals will share their revolutionary technologies in cannabinoid and terpenoid extraction, delivery methods, and quality and safety testing. CanMed 2018 is october 22nd through 24th at the luskin conference center at ucla and while the final speakers list is still coming together the speakers who are already announced give you plenty of reasons to get your ticket today prepare yourself to learn from 54 thought leader presentations focused on furthering the convergence of medical cannabis research treatment and product development speakers include the father of cannabis research Raphael mishulam Michael Doerr, Chief Medical Consultant for the Israeli Ministry of Health, will be there too. The list of esteemed speakers participating is long and includes Shaping Fire guests, Cannabis Neuroscientist Dr. Ethan Russo, and Kevin McKiernan of Medicinal Genomics. You can view all the speakers at canmedevents.com. This year's CanMed features a special education track on the application of blockchain technology in the cannabis market, including cannabis banking, seed-to-sale tracking, sequencing the cannabis genome, ICO financing, and more. If you are a medical care provider, be sure to arrive a day early to participate in the pre-conference CME course. Find out more about that at CanMedEvents.com. That's C-A-N-N-M-E-D-Events.com. 95% of attendees said CanMed 2017 met or exceeded their expectations. That's a serious vote of confidence that CanMed 2018 will be well worth your time and resources. So don't delay. Visit canmedEvents.com today to reserve your seat and find out more. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Jeff Wilhoyt, Director of Extracts at Puffin Farm. So before the break, we were talking about, you know, just kind of some general questions that have been coming up contemporarily about CO2 and CO2 products. But but Jeff, I want to talk more in this second set about uh, best practices and some of the things that can, uh, happen in the lab to make a better product. So, um, and, you know, in this section, I will be upfront that, it, you know, I get over my head fast in a lab and I'm not going to front and pretend to know extraction at your level. So I, I'm going you know, to, uh, I want to, I want to lean on your depth a little bit and have you guide where to go next. So, so let's talk a little bit about best practices in your lab. So, so, you know, you know, what i would like you to share with us is some of the simple things that you have um, realized in your lab between you know the the early days of 2014 and now that is causing you to develop this product that's you know winning awards and is clearly popular in the market and 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 so when we talked about this setting up the show some of the stuff that you had to say was actually uh really quite simple so so let's start what what would you say is one best practice in your CO2 lab that is that is leading to these these championship oils that you're putting on the market
1: well so there's there's one one thing and I I've, I've already talked about it quite a bit is Quality material, you know, it's uh, it's that quality in, quality out. You know, we call it extra virgin flower oil because it's flower oil, not trim oil. Um, and you know, having that high quality material um, leads to an extract that you're not going to have to winterize. Um, and uh, you know, if you winterize, you're 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 losing terpenes. It's 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 just that plain and simple. You're. Um, most volatile terpenes, which are the ones that you'll smell when you break open a bud, um, those are going to go out with your alcohol when you uh, when you when you do that. And it's it's a little bit more of a, a full plant extract if you leave a little bit of that in there. If you if you're not removing um, anything with a secondary solvent, um, you know that that's selective and basically won't extract certain constituents then then you're you're really having that full plant um, full plant extract it's you know I'd say another really really key thing is we don't deconstruct things you know it's it's all one extraction if you deconstruct things, if you if you take the terpenes and 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 separate them off, and then you take the cannabinoids and separate them off, you've got these two different fractions, and then then you winterize the cannabinoid fraction to remove lipids, and then um, get that you know as clean as you can, and then you add back the terpene fraction. Um, things don't always match up. Um, very close to what the flower was that it came from. Because I, would, know, I the, would think
0: that as you're, as you're separating all the parts, you're, you're separating an analog source into kind of digital parts and there's a little bit lost at each part. So when you put it back together, you're losing quite a sum.
1: There's definitely lost parts. Um, there's changed parts. So if you if you have to to heat something up uh, to the point where um, you know, or pull it into deep enough vacuum to the point where it's going to distill out like the terpenes. So if you if you remove those terpenes first, there there's something that's been changed because they were removed. If you extract it all with a single solvent, um, all of it has been treated the same way. So, so you're going to have um, a product that is very, um, very close to what the plant was rather than removed and then, you know, de- deconstructed and then reconstructed.
0: Right on. So, so, so would you throw in a quick uh, description of what winterizing is? Because while you yeah. and I use it as common parlance, a lot of folks in the industry don't.
1: Yeah, so winterizing is uh, simply the act of um, uh, of removing the lipid content. And so what, what you do is you t- take your oil um, and you put that into uh, alcohol. You, d- you dissolve the, the oil into alcohol. Um, lipids are not um, – s- most lipids are not very soluble in uh, alcohol. And so they'll stay kind of – Um, they'll they'll not dissolve into a suspension, right? So you're able to filter them out. Now, if you freeze uh, that alcohol um, and oil mixture um, or winterize it, um, even more lipids will um, solidify. And the terpenes and cannabinoids stay um, in the liquid solution of alcohol. Um, so winterization, you put your oil in the alcohol, you put that alcohol and oil into the freezer, you freeze it, then you, uh, filter it, um, usually with some sort of vacuum, uh, filtration, basically pouring it into a filter and having a vacuum draw on the bottom of that filter so that the, um, alcohol soluble constituents come through and you're left with a puck of lipids on the filter, um, so that's, that's winterizing. Right on. Then, and, and Then bring, you've got all of this, this go ahead. oil that's mm-hmm. diluted in alcohol, and you've got to remove the alcohol.
0: So to bring this full circle and bring it back home, and the reason why you do winterize is because you want to remove these lipids, which are harsh. So you go through this process so that the the end smokable product is much more enjoyable to the consumer.
1: Exactly, exactly. It, you know, it's um, – yeah. Right on. It's, it's, it, 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 it's a clear product as well. So, so to the eye, um, it's a little bit more desirable. Um, winterization had been used to, um, put it in earlier cart technology, right? So cartridge technology, um, the lipids would just gum it all up. Nowadays you could put raw CO2 that's Full of lipids into a cartridge i wouldn't recommend it to anybody but um the technology is there where we're able to smoke thicker and thicker things you can put pure distillate into a cartridge and you know that's the thickest <laughs> that you're gonna have you know terpene free for the most part um into a cartridge so
0: and, and the, the benefit yeah. of that is is from all these new carts because that would never have worked with a wicking cart
1: no, exactly. It, you know, the C cell technology in particular is is really making for um, the ability for us to vaporize anything.
0: Yeah, big, you big, know? big fans of C cell as well. Um, yeah. So, so let's 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 lock down another best practice. So, what's something else that you're doing in the lab that uh, that you're finding a lot of value in?
1: So, you know, one one thing that, that I really like to do in the lab is uh, is reuse the CO2. Um, and, you know, so Eden Labs and, and other companies, they'll tell you, uh, don't reuse your CO2. You're going to have um, too much water in there. One reason or another, your CO2 is going to be less pure, um, you know, there is some truth to that um but in practice i've noticed that there's not uh much less uh ability to extract from reused co2 as there is from fresh co2 um and you know co2 production it uses fossil fuels. It uses energy that we have uh, to create those bottles of CO2. Then there's diesel um, in the trucks that are used to ship that CO2 uh, around and deliver it to your location. Um, So we're using energy um, to deliver this. And so I think that the the best thing that we can do is uh, reuse everything that we can. You know um, so we, does we, it we've, we've
0: does done. it is there any degradation to the product I mean you mentioned a potential for water or at least the suspicion of water yeah. in the, in the reusal but but have you noticed any different in your final products because you know you run using recycled co2 all the time.
1: No, you know, I haven't. I mean, I've used just fresh and and gone straight fresh CO2, and I haven't noticed a yield difference. Um, I haven't noticed anything uh, different as far as, you know, what the product is. I mean, realistically, there's very little water that's going to make it into your accumulator tank uh, on a CO2 system. You're just you're not really going to have much there because most of the water is going to drop out in your separator. Um, you know, the the separator should be at a low enough pressure or, or at a low enough, um, temperature that the water is not going to boil, right? Cause you, you wouldn't want it that hot, <laughs> you know, with your <laughs> oil sitting in there. So, so your oil and your water from every run is going to be in your separator. Um, and not it doesn't carry over as a gas into the accumulator at least not in a large part there 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 is some carryover just like there's some carryover of terpenes um and so you know you could say that that um there's going to be more terpenes that that will collect in the accumulator as well and so using it you're kind of recycling those terpenes but yeah so you know i i, I I just like to do everything as green as possible and uh, and be as little of a burden on the earth as I can um, while I'm producing the extracts that that I want to produce. So
0: I got to tell you that that hearing this as one of your best practices is heartening, but also not you know not what I was expecting. I was expecting you to give me another you know very technical thing, um, but but it's you know considering. How bad our industry is right now, as far as you know uh green footprint go, or our c o two footprint goes between you know making all the, the the packaging and 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 you know using plastic for a one gram yeah, yeah. nug and and all the lights that we need to use to g- grow indoors i mean the the fact that that we are able to even take baby steps and to start bringing um you know green ideology into the scene. I think is overdue and a good
1: thing. So, you know, and and one other thing that we do, um, some other companies do it, but most companies don't, uh, we sell a one gram cartridge. So in Washington state, we're limited to one gram sales. That's the most extract that you're allowed to sell, uh, in one package. Um, with all the wicking cart or wick cartridges that were out there um one grams were horrible it was you know you would have almost every time you would have a leak by the time you got through a gram of extract so the majority of people went over to a half gram cartridge because it was much more reliable you were only going through a half gram of oil you had um, less less chance for that to leak And the profit margin is a little bit better on selling the half grams, right? You're able to, you know, you're selling two units and you have a little bit more markup on each one. So the majority of the industry has gone to half gram cartridges and we sell half gram cartridges because that's what most consumers want, but we also sell gram cartridges uh, and really would prefer to sell gram cartridges uh you know so that we have less waste there's there's so much waste that goes into this product you know we've got to try every step to improve what we're doing so that we have less waste
0: i got one more question for you before we go to commercial and and it's and it's on the same idea of um of efficiencies of scale so you know you'll you'll get A half gram cart for X amount of money, and then you'll get a full gram cart for you know usually slightly less than double the price of the half gram yeah but then you know uh, they call them different names different places some people call them tankers some people call them syringes essentially uh, it, it's a it's a it's a packaging that is sold with the assumption that you have your own empty cartridge at home that you're gonna you know squeeze this syringe into yourself and 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 tankers or syringes tend to have a really nice price like whenever given the option i will always buy a syringe and refill my 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 jupiter cartridges that fit my C cell at home. But honestly, it doesn't seem like it's all that much more hassle to uh, put it in a cartridge as it is in a syringe. Why, what's going on behind the scenes in the lab that explains why tankers or syringes are so much less than a one gram cart?
1: Yeah. So, so filling uh, the filling cost is equal. On a cartridge or a uh, syringe might even be just just a hair easier to fill the syringe, but I, you know, not really. It's it's <laughs> it's almost equal, almost equal. Um, what's really going on is the the price of the package. Um, so I mean we we go with uh, with the best syringe that we could find. And that's an all glass uh, syringe, no Pyrex, no, or I mean, uh, no plastic, no silicone plunger. It is glass on glass. um, And the cost of that is way less than the cost of either a full gram or a half gram cartridge. No kidding. So, so it's, it's really, I mean, we're selling the oil for the exact same price. It's all the packaging, that is changing uh, what what the cost is to the end consumer.
0: Right on. Cool. And and actually, I actually way prefer getting the syringe, not only because I like to use my own carts, but, um, you know, I have a hard time throwing those glass on glass syringes away because they're so nice. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to use them all for someday, but I've got a bunch of them now. So.
1: <laughs> right yeah, on. it sounds like me. I've got a bunch of well used <laughs> ones that are just, you know, empty the, you know, um, waiting for the yeah, right application. I think, that, I think that's really the way uh, the way to go, and and you know, I would really uh, push anybody that's thinking of uh, producing uh, a high terpene content product, um, get away from the plastic syringes. Um, you know, don't even use something that has a silicone plunger and a glass barrel. Go for the full glass on glass, um, and it's. It's that much better, you know, w- when you have a silicone plunger or you've got the plastic syringe, you have terpenes in there that are going to be eating it. You're g- it's, it's getting into your oil. Um, you know, when, when you buy like a gram of distillate, let's say, yeah. in uh, one of those things that has a silicone plunger in it, by the time you plunge down towards the end of it, You'll notice that the distillate that was clear at the beginning of the gram has now become cloudy, and that's because of the lubricants that are used in um, in these syringes uh, or tankers, whatever you want to call them, Um, and because of it, it, uh, you know it. Yeah, it's 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 just the manufacturing um, things. You know the 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 the, uh, silicone lubricants and and, and uh, terpenes, break down the terpenes and themselves are oil. corrosive they're solvents they, yeah. they are uh, you know they're alcohols so they're going to break <laughs> they're going to break down anything uh that they can solu uh, you know
0: um dissolve so there you have it yeah. so go with glass yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right go on with
1: glass all glass not just not just a glass uh you know tanker with a silicone plunger
0: Glass on glass. So let's go ahead and right, take sorry. our second short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Jeff Wilhoit, Director of Extracts at Puffin Farm. <laughs> Using pesticides when growing cannabis has been common for a long time. Nowadays, though, we know better. We know that most pesticides formulated for food crops have never been tested for use with cannabis. They've been tested to be eaten in tiny doses. They have not been tested to be inhaled and especially not concentrated into a cannabis oil. Chemical residues from pesticides are not healthy for anyone, but they are especially dangerous for patients. For commercial cannabis growers, this has become very impactful. Cannabis enthusiasts and patients have gotten educated enough that they avoid growers who used pesticides. Not only that, but states across the country have begun making pesticide testing mandatory on all licensed cannabis crops. The time has come to find a better way to fight garden pests than covering your cannabis and chemicals. And there is a better way. Let some good bugs fight your bad bugs. Beneficial insects and predatory mites have come a long way since we were buying ladybugs online and putting them in the grow room and just hoping for the best. Natural enemies biocontrol can help you solve pest issues without using chemicals. Natural Enemies founder Shane Young learned best practices from working in the ornamental plant industry and has fine-tuned those strategies specifically for large cannabis crops. Shane works with commercial cannabis clients across the country to ensure that they keep their crops safe and pest-free without the use of chemicals. Natural Enemies has proven solutions for spider mites, aphids, thrips, russet mites, broad mites, shore flies, Whitefly, and others too. You can rely on Natural Enemies for expertise and excellent service. For more information, go to shapingfire.com forward slash natural enemies or simply click on their banner in this week's newsletter. As a listener of Shaping Fire, you already understand the importance of living soil when growing cannabis. When you have active microbe communities in your substrate, you go way beyond simply fertilizing with nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Having active microorganisms in your substrate supports vigorous plant growth throughout the plant's root zone, making for higher yields and thriving flowers. Mammoth pea is the first organically derived microbial inoculant that focuses on your plant's nutrient cycling processes to release soil phosphorus and other micronutrients from their bound forms, making them more available to the plant. Increased levels of phosphorus will also keep internodes shorter and focus your plant's energy on bud production. Not only that, but the microbes act as a defense shield for the plant's rhizosphere by outcompeting potentially harmful pathogenic microbes. Pretty cool, right? Mammoth pea not only unlocks the nutrients in your soil, but it also helps protect your plant from disease. Mammoth pea's beneficial bacteria act like microbioreactors, continually producing enzymes that release nutrients. Mammoth pea was developed at a U.S. university and has been extensively tested by Colorado growers and independent laboratories. Mammoth pea is proven to increase growth and enhance blooming. One of the great things about supplementing with microorganisms is that they won't compete with whatever fertilizer program you're already running. Simply dose on top of your fertilizer schedule for increased benefits. To learn more and to find out where you can buy mammoth pea near you, check out their website at www.mammothmicrobes.com. Partner with microorganisms to create beautiful, thriving cannabis, mammoth pea. Welcome back. You're listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Jeff Wilhoyt, Director of Extracts at Puffin Farm. So Jeff, this next section, I want to talk more about getting hands on with the CO2 extractor itself. Because, you know, when we first met, one of the first things you had told me is that you were, you were modding yours and I'm, that scared the hell out of me, right? I'm like, you're taking this, you know, this $80,000, $100,000 machine and, and you're going to fix it somehow. And I'm like, dude, are you sure? But, but, you know, you've had a lot of success with that. And now you've mentioned some other things to me over the years that you've done. So, so let's talk a little. little bit about modding machines. So, so if I remember correctly, let's, let's start with your first mod. Um, I think it was a retrofit of some sort. And if I remember correctly, you owned an Apex machine and you wanted it to do something that it didn't do out of the box. So kind of break that out. And, And especially if it's still relevant today.
1: Right. So, so, okay. So it's kind of funny, you know, Apex um, was born out of Eden Labs. So um, Andy Joseph, the uh, the manufacturer of Apex machines, um, he was the welder for the high pressure welder for Eden Labs um and so he was out of ohio fritz um the owner of eden labs was from ohio as well um so that's that's how they knew each other and at some point they had this falling out you know and and you know things things happened andy decided to make his own um machine and started a company i I didn't purchase, uh, the apex machine, but it landed in my hands. And, uh, and so we had this machine, um, it was gas booster technology, which was not, you know, the cutting edge. It was kind of an old technology at that point. Um, and this machine that, was built by Andy that kind of had everything good on paper. He was a good engineer, uh, but he didn't really understand uh, cannabis extraction and what was going to be happening while the extraction was was actually happening. Um, so there were some things about the machine that didn't quite work uh, very well. Um, so we, we would be running our runs. And uh, have our separators uh, icing over because the uh, the heater capacity wasn't wasn't enough. Um, We we would have all kinds of different issues uh, with the machine, and no matter what we did, we were not able to get a very high yield. Um, You know, we we were hitting five percent yields as kind of our highest uh, highest that we could get. this was a old 1500 psi machine, and that was based on um, a lot of the technology in the machine itself, not necessarily the extraction vessel. The vessel um, was rated you know above two thousand psi um, and so we were talking with uh, Eden Labs because they're here in Seattle um, and Andy was all the way over in Ohio and we'd get. You know, one story from Andy, but he didn't really know exactly too much about it. In 2013, he didn't know too much about running the extractors to extract um, cannabinoids. Um, so we had uh, had Eden Labs here, and they were happy enough to reach out and help us any way that they could. Um, they lent us uh, heat baths to try and overcome uh, the issues. So w- where we would have, uh, you know, our heater. Um, wasn't capable of producing enough heat to stop it from freezing over. And so they would lend us heat baths. And and finally it came to the point where we were like, yeah, you know, what we really need to do is have an Eden high flow liquid system. So it would be instead of a gas booster where gas is compressed by the pump into liquid and then that liquid is shot into the extraction vessel, it would be a liquid pump where – Liquid was pumped from an accumulator tank on the machine through the uh, through the extraction vessel, and then it would end up back as a liquid in the accumulator uh, tank after it goes through the whole machine. So, kind of the way that the the machines were running w- w- were way different. The the liquid aspect allowed for a lot more. Um, A lot higher flow rate of co2 and since you know extraction is really based on flow rate it's how much solvent are you moving over the material and how much time Um, we we just decided hey let's let's do this so um, we worked with Eden labs um, on designing a retrofit uh, that was kind of custom to the machine that we had Um, and got a secondary skid that sat right next to our machine that had, um, a pump on it. And, uh, we were able to double our extraction yield and cut down the time that it took to extract. Um, you know, we were running, um, up to 12 hours and getting only five percent on the apex 2013 series machine um and we were able to cut that down to four hours and and be able to reliably get eight to ten percent um winterized oil out of it after we were done um but yeah so so you know the retrofit it's it's really you know it's kind of this leap of faith that we took. We said, hey, you know, we think that this other system is going to work better for us. All of the numbers seem to to equate. Let's try it out. So we um, we had them design it, manufacture it, and we tried it out, and everything worked great. So that yeah, doesn't that
0: doesn't sound like a cheap mod though. That sounds like that probably cost you a couple tens of thousands of dollars
1: yeah it was expensive um but you know relative- dub- doubling
0: your yield and cutting your time by 60 80 70-ish percent that sounds like a great win though yeah
1: yeah I think at the time it was like 36 grand oh. um, to, to, to do it which compared to the price of a um, a new five liter um, extractor at that point which was like I think they were like 86 or or dollars Thousands somewhere, somewhere around that range. Um, at that time, um, it was way cheap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and they they were nice. They worked with us and and helped us be able to make it happen. Um, right on. So that, yeah, that that's that, a
0: great solution. And you know, another thing I like about it too is it. You're, um, I'm always a fan of uh, extractors not being afraid to get under the hood. And, and make some non-stock changes to their gear. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, because, you know, so often they're like, well, you know, we want, we want to keep it just like the, the, it was sold to us. But so often the, the machines are sold kind of like as a mean, like, okay, this is the kind of machine that people, everybody generally needs. But if your specialty is one thing or another, you know, you might as well hot rod it in that direction.
1: Yeah, you know these machines are built with safety in mind. There's pressure relief valves everywhere um, on on the system. So if you do get into a situation where there's an overpressure um, in any of any of the uh, vessels, it's gonna just blow it off, and and you're gonna have to say, oh, what did I do? <laughs> you know, what you know, what what caused this? Figure it out, fix it. Um, so. You know, there's really nothing to worry about as far as hurting yourself with one of these machines because they're just so, they're built so burly, you know? Um, yeah. So, right you know, I mean, it, 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 and, and, After that retrofit, it really kind of opened us up to say, hey, look, you can change everything on this machine. Let's look at the flow path. Let's look at how things are going and try to come up with a better way to extract. And so um, we actually um, started doing subcritical runs. So the way that Eden Labs High Flow machine is set up, uh, you're basically, it's set up to run a... Supercritical run if you modify it a little bit slow down the pump um and uh put a chiller on the extraction vessel instead of a heat bath um you can do a subcritical uh liquid extraction that's going to get you a much different um constituent profile you know we've um we extracted um, lots of subcritical runs and and really, kind of came up with a product that's similar to what we uh, what we have today um, at Puffin, um, you know, really high terpene content um, extract that's that's free of lipids for the most part. Lipids are just like the cannabinoids; it, it, at the higher pressures, they're more extractable. So, if you're going to extract it, you know. 1100 psi say for um, a subcritical run you're gonna have a much cleaner extract that needs uh, much less post-processing uh, kind of you know kind of the way to go now with with subcritical the disadvantage there is um, your yield is sacrificed um, so because it's harder to extract those cannabinoids um, at those lower pressures, you're not going to get quite as much there. Yeah, right. um, but, but, yeah, so, you know, I mean, what, what we did for the subcritical mod, we took a, a chiller and uh, we cut into the line where uh, the heat bath was um, and put in a uh, three-way valve in there where we could select either the heat bath or the chiller um, and kind of hot swap it so we'd be able to do like a a cold subcritical run, get this really terpy extract, um, and then, then do a supercritical run after that, kind of swap that over and you start pumping the heat bath in there and you're able to get more of a cannabinoid rich, um, secondary cut, uh, that then you could winterize and then you could put those oils, uh, back together that first subcritical run that you haven't winterized and the, uh, um, the final uh, winterized extract from the supercritical run, so kind of you know just just trying to go different ways about it um, and uh, yeah, I, I so like that, that
0: idea actually of, of running it two different ways for two different types of benefits, but then putting together at the end to make something that's better than the sum of both yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah. so we hit we've hit two mods we hit the retrofit mod and the subcritical mod do you do you have one more that you might find interesting
1: yeah so so you know really my favorite one and the one that I need to do myself right now <laughs> is um is a heat bath mod um and so if you buy an Eden Lab system, um, it comes with two heat baths—one for the extractor, one for the separator—and so um, simply getting a PID controller, which is um, what you know your E-nail uses to, um, you know, keep your—it reads a thermocouple, which is a thermometer basically, and has uh, a heating element attached to it. And so it kind of cycles on and off to to keep your E-nail hot. Same thing on a heat bath. Um, and what that allows you to do is is have just this ultra-stable temperature. So you're not having drift. When we were working down in Soto... Um, Just where we were on the power grid, there were fluctuations in the quality of the power that was being delivered. Um, You know, I don't know if it was just we were near the end of the line. Um, There's some really, really heavy power um, consumers down there in the industrial district in Seattle. Um, And so we would notice uh, a variance um, of quite 10. 10 degree up to 20 degree um shift in temperature of our heat bath where it's you know it's at the same setting but because of the quality of the power that was coming into the building we would have this fluctuation between you know the morning and, and the evening um and so we we just drilled a hole into the heat bath uh put a thermocouple in there that had a a gasket fitting on it, so you know the heat bath wouldn't leak. Um, hook that thermocouple up to the PID controller, um, and then had the PID controller. Um, it had a relay that switched on and off a um, the outlet uh, that the heat bath is plugged into. So basically, you turn the heat bath on its analog dial all the way up, and then you set the PID controller for the temperature that you want, and it would cycle on and off the power, um, keeping your heat bath at the desired temperature, rather than running into this, you know, issue of the the quality of the power changing it, and even you know, um, I I noticed some fluctuation uh, during the day. You know, if it's if it heats up outside, you know, if you've got a, uh, an ambient temperature fluctuation, you're going to have a fluctuation in uh, what your heat bath is 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 getting. So, you know, to have a stable, repeatable temperature that you're extracting at a heat bath mod is is really the way to go.
0: Yeah. The idea of keeping it at one temperature, you know, it, it's not just for convenience. We're doing science here, people.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it's because it's going to extract exactly the same constituents at that temperature, and if it if it fluctuates, it's getting something different.
0: Right on, right on. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking some time to join us again on the show. I always love chatting with you, and you know, honestly, you know, with a lot of my other shows, I've got a very uh, stringent set of questions that I'm going to walk somebody through. But one of the things I enjoy about you is that um, I don't actually always know where we're going to go because um, <laughs> I just kind of follow follow your path, and and you'll good things come out. So I, I appreciate both your willingness to share your experience, uh, but also your your good cheer and ability to tell stories so so thanks so much for your time man
1: yeah definitely and thank you very much for having me out it's 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 always a pleasure to to be on the show and chat with you about uh all things cannabis i i just i love to talk about cannabis so yeah, anytime.
0: Right on. Cool, man. So if you want to follow Jeff on his Instagram, it is a great place to follow along, and that's at Cannabis Reverend on Instagram. Um, we've also got a video that's going to be coming out here in a couple weeks where uh, I'm going to be working through with Jeff, or he'll be explaining to me, rather, um, the, the genesis of the Hash Star rating system, because he was there in the early days when it came about, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. You'll find that on the YouTube Channel and actually, you really should go over to the YouTube channel and, and hear um, and actually watch uh, a couple of Jeff's presentations made here on Vashon Island where I live uh, for patients. He does he did a uh, uh, one presentation on doing uh, uh, making bubble hash at home uh, for patients, and then a second one on making ethanol hash oil, aka RSO, for patients as well. And so, so if you're a commercial producer, these are probably not not going to be the videos you want because he's focusing more on, uh, using limited materials and ease. Well, it's not really a, you know, necessarily scalable, but, but if you're a patient and you're looking for a simple way to get involved with it, those are, uh, th- those are great videos to check out. And the YouTube channel is at youtube.com forward slash Shango You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolose.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose.